I think it's obvious to every Christian on earth that what is going on now all tends toward the development of the mark of the beast. That this, this, this panic demic that we've been going through is like a push to get us there in the 10 year period that they've outlined with for what they call their 2030 agenda. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went. Into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Rare Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 31. I interview Nicholas Arthur. Nicholas is an author, YouTuber, and radio broadcaster. He has a daily radio broadcast called Cross the Border, a YouTube channel called Prophecy Reality, and has authored several books, including Reformed Prophecy Interpretation, which is the topic of this episode. We discuss the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, the Great Reset, and the 2030 Agenda, the Whore of Babylon, the Third Temple, the Rapture, and much more. So, with no further ado, let's get weird. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Uh, let's start just by hearing a little bit about how you grew up and how you came to know Christ. Well, uh, I was uh, I was born in 1953, so I'm a, I'm an old man now. Uh, my mother died the first year I was born, mm. and I was uh, I was orphaned at 13 when my father died. So there's really not a whole lot to tell. Uh, my mother was a devout Catholic. Uh, my father was a devout pagan, and uh, and I was uh, neither. But I had the only churches I had ever spent any time with in as a child uh, were Catholic churches. Though so that was rare because my mother was dead, and my father was uh, pretty much non-religious. Uh, then, when my father died, uh, I was sent to several homes, and they were Catholic homes. So I sat in Catholic church. Uh, on a regular basis, but uh, fortunately, I seem to have a shield between me and the whole thing, the whole goings-ons of the Catholic Church around me, and nothing penetrated. So uh, it was like, it absolutely had no effect on me. I didn't know that God had a son. I didn't know any of these things. I didn't hear the gospel there, of course, because they don't preach the gospel in the Catholic Church, at least they didn't then. <laughs> pretty sure they don't now uh but everything was done in latin latin mass and and i was mm -hmm. never you know on the in crowd because i was never really interested in what was going on there uh then um so i was orphaned and when i could leave those homes uh, you know the state uh, uh was my i was a ward of the state that's what they call you uh when you have no parents and and of course, they turn you over to Catholic services. And uh, so as soon as I could uh, leave that life behind, I did. And I was, uh, so I was kind of homeless at 19. And I was uh, trying to finish high school for some reason, which is beyond me now, because uh, I was in my last year. I just turned 19 in the last year there. And, uh, and I was hitchhiking on the freeway. And I got picked up by the police and thrown in jail for 10 days. And I missed my final exams. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so after I got out of jail, I had no place to go because I did not want to go back to where I was. Uh, as I said, I was practically homeless. So mm -hmm. some friends took me in 
and uh, that I had met some years before, uh, a girl, not a girlfriend, no romantic, but just a friendship. Anyway, she talked her parents into let me stay at their house, and uh, they did. And uh, there was a, um, a church, a little country church a mile or so down the road, and we were walking everywhere at the time. So uh, they invited me to go there because they were going there to because they put up a uh, revival tent on the acreage acreage behind the old country church. So we went. And uh, and so it was kind of fun hanging out with people, a lot of people my age, and it was a good place to hang out. But, you know, it was kind of like nothing penetrated me at that time either. But the, so they did something different because we, we continued to go to the church after the tent was wrapped up and everything. And they, I, I remember one scene in the church where everybody's, you know, sort of praising the Lord and they were pretty Pentecostal too. So they, they had me uh, on the ground, all laying hands on me and praying for me. And, uh, and I just started laughing because it just, it, it seemed so hilarious and ridiculous to me right. you know I, I, here i am 19 years old and uh because nothing like this had ever happened to me before and all these people are babbling in in unknown languages that i couldn't understand at the time mm -hmm. and so i left and then they thought the holy spirit had come on me <laughs> right. yeah, but i'm afraid i'm afraid it did not but they all thought it did. So they were very happy with my conversion and everything. I'm just being totally honest here with you as to yeah. what happened to me. And, you know, this is like almost 50 years ago. Uh, so anyway, but they did, they did one thing that was very dangerous. They gave me a King James Bible and mm -hmm. I started to read it. And God started to speak to me through his word. And that's when something happened. I was walking down Plymouth Road. I don't know if you read my uh, my Plymouth my my Damascus Road experience on my website or not, but I have it there. So I was walking down Plymouth Road, and uh, from the church reading the Bible, and I was reading in the Psalms, where I mean it's like you know when I think about it, it was like God had this all planned out. Yeah. You know this meeting, He was going to meet me on the side of the road as we were walking down the road. And I, I remember it, you know, never forget it. I was walking down the road and then suddenly I was reading this Bible and suddenly I wasn't really reading the Bible anymore. It was like God was speaking to me. And the part I was, the part that I opened to was where he'll be a fatherless uh, to, I mean, a father to the fatherless and a help to widows in times of need or whatever, you know, what, whatever part of the Psalm that is. And so I was reading this and it was like, everything stopped and, and I couldn't see, I wasn't seeing what was on the road anymore. I mean, it was, uh, I didn't meet an angel or it wasn't transported to heaven. It was like, it's it like there was nothing else, but this conversation mm -hmm. going on and God was offering me, offering to adopt me. Wow. God says, I am a father to the fatherless. Well, I just, you know, there I was. I was the fatherless reading this. And the father offered to adopt me. And I said, yes, I was so glad. I was so happy because finally, you know, I was getting the thing that I needed most in my life, 
a father, you know, yeah. a real father. And so meeting the heavenly father, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't, you know, sinless. I, I was, I, I was nothing that he should stop and adopt me. There was nothing special about me. I wasn't devout. I mean, I just told you what happened in the church. I was laughing at right. what was going on there. It was hilarious to me. But walking down the road, reading that Bible, he offered me the adoption and I accepted. And right there, I, I, I prayed my first prayer that I ever truly prayed, you know, directly to the Heavenly Father. And my prayer, I asked him, because I had a brother and a sister, and I said, I want my brother and my sister to know you too. And my sister is seven years older than I am, or she was anyway, she's passed away since. And my brother is two years older than me. And that was the only thing I asked for. That was the only thing I could think of, I guess. I, I don't know why, but yeah. I, that's the only thing I remember asking for. And then it was done. And I was just, I was filled with the spirit and walking down the road. Uh, continuing on toward the house there. And that's, that's the time that I met God on the side of the road. And he adopted me, uh, no strings attached, no nothing. I guess he was just going to take care of everything. He didn't give me an ultimatum or anything like that, or if you become good or anything like that. No, he just adopted me flat out. And I accepted. And I only asked one thing that he would, that he would, that my brother and my sister could know him too. And that was wow. my prayer, exactly. And within three years, my brother comes to me, starts telling me about Jesus. No way. Uh, he, was, he was in the Navy, and he ended up going to Bible college after he got out of the Navy. Uh, my sister, uh, within three years, we got back in contact with each other. She found Christ all by herself, reading her Bible, uh, in a terrible predicament that was her life at the time. And we became best friends. Wow. And so that's, you know, that's where God started with me. And no, I didn't have a miraculous life. Sometimes I think about it. and I think God took so long, so much patience with me. And I, sometimes I think, you know, God, why didn't you send some men into my life to mentor me or whatever? But, you know, who am I to question God's methods? But here I am, you know, almost 50 years later, and I can look back now and say, yes, God works. And I am a better man because he adopted me. Wow. And he allowed me to suffer all the things I've suffered in my life. And he took the time and had patience with me that he took for his own purpose, for his own reason. All I can say, it's by faith alone, by grace alone, because I never, there was never a time in when I did not believe since that day. Yeah. Uh, there were times that I tested God, yes. And sometimes I suffered greatly, you know, because uh, my testing him, I believe, but I believe it was all in his plan. Anyway, wow. so that's, that's what happened to me. I've heard other stories that are totally different. God deals with us all individually. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's in charge of it. So that's that. Awesome. I, I love that story. Um, how much time had passed between the meeting, you know, that you went to, uh, where they had laid hands on you and your Damascus Road experience? 
I, I don't know. That could have been a couple of days. I don't really remember that exactly. Uh, could have been a couple of days. It could have been a week or two. I don't really know. I got you. Had you been reading your Bible since that meeting? Um, yes. Yeah, so, well, absolutely. I was walking down the road reading the Bible. So, uh, uh, you know, and it was only the spirit of God that prompted me to go ahead and to, to read it. Otherwise, who would read this book? Nobody. From my experience in dealing with the world, it's hard to get someone to read the Bible. Right. You know, yeah. you can only you can only pray for them. Because I tell people all the time that God will speak to you if you read his word. You got to show him you're interested, you know. Yeah. But that wasn't the first time you cracked it open, though, or, 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 or was it? Um. Yeah, I really can't remember that. I yeah. really can't give that detail. But yeah. all I can remember, remember is I was reading it then. Yeah, you just opened it up and happened to stumble upon that verse? No, I, I, I guess, you know, uh, like I said, I think it was a divine appointment that I was yeah. supposed to open yeah. it to that verse because God was preparing me for that meeting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I, I'm reading this and then he says he wants to adopt me, you know, and, you know, I, uh, I know I met God on the side of the road that day. Nothing could ever change my mind about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ask because um, I, I just love that God can use his word. And, he, and as you stated, he can use kind of any means to draw someone to himself. But uh, I love that he used his word to speak to you so personally in that moment. Um, so well, he, really wants, cool. he will use his word to speak to all of us personally. Yeah. Because that's how he's chosen to speak to mankind is through his word. Now that I can't believe, I, I can't tell anyone else that they'll have this kind of experience, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we all have some experience in our life with the almighty where he let us know that he is real undeniably. And it's not a figment of our imagination or whatever, but we, because it, it says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So I guess perhaps I must have been diligently seeking him because I was looking for something in that book. Right. And, yeah. Uh, it it must have been him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's for me, it's also really neat to see how everything changed through that word because seemingly beforehand, you know, you'd been to Catholic church, you went to this revival and, you know, outside it had no of, effect on me. Yeah. Right. It outside of, no you know, leaving with the word. Yeah. You, you, you pretty much, you hadn't really had a conversion despite what maybe everyone else around you had, had thought. So I think that's so cool. Um, awesome. So you have this experience, um, and here you are today, you're authoring books. Um, uh, how else uh, is God using you in ministry? Um, and how did you get there? Well, it was, uh, it was during the 1990s that God felt the call of God, plus I, someone, one of the elders at, at the church I was attending at that time, um, prophesied and said that God was going to use my voice. I just thought it peculiar wow. at the time, but this was back in the 90s. And anyway, it so happened that an occasion uh, rose up for me to uh, take part in a radio broadcast on the weekends uh, with, a, with a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine at the time, although we became best, best friends. He's also passed away at this time. He, anyway, uh, so about 1993 or four, uh, 
I started doing a radio broadcast in the evening. We were doing current events and and then that the radio station offered that I could do a weekly bro, a daily broadcast wow. if I, I was interested. So I took advantage of that and did an hour daily broadcast every day. And I was doing a lot of uh, interviews and stuff and books and and, and I just felt that God was calling me to more than that. And not only that, at the time, you know, this is like 94 and this is going uh, from 19. So I was already in my 40s at this time uh, during the 90s. And, uh, and I just felt like God was calling me to do more. And plus, I felt the need to be in God's word more because you kind of let it, you know, things fall by the wayside after so many years. And I thought, okay, well, I can kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to start going through the Bible daily on the air. And wow. that way I'll be in God's word. So wow. that may be a little selfish, but, <laughs> but I figured that's one way that, that just feel God's hand was in that too, to put that desire to, to go into his word on the air. So that's what I started to do. I left off the interviews and all the current events and stuff. And I just got into his word on the air. And that's, that's how I began my radio ministry back in the 1990s. Wow. Cool. Uh, so the topic that we're going to get into today is uh, historic premillennialism. Uh, so how did you come to, to that view and what inspired this uh, book that we're going to talk about? Okay. Today? Well, we got up to the point where I was uh, doing, you know, going through the Bible on the air. And finally, mm -hmm. I come to the revelation. And of course, prophecy comes in. And I yeah. thought, you know... I need to teach on prophecy, but I have to, because I'm already in the word and that's what I'm doing every day, just the Bible, going through the Bible. And I'm thinking, well, I have to show people where what I believe is in the Bible. So right. I started studying and I could not find dispensational futurism and a pre-tribulation rapture in the Bible anywhere. And I, you know, I wanted, by golly, I wanted to find it so I could teach it. But I could not teach right. what I could not find in the word. Yeah. So I discovered that there was no pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, so I became a post-tribulationist And at that time. And it wasn't until like about 2005 where I decided I have to buckle down. I have to get this. Uh, I have to figure this prophecy thing out. So I want, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about prophecy. So I started about 2004, 2005, diving in, reading everything I could, every view I could, learning yeah. everything, and, and then going back to the Bible, excluding what the Bible excludes, mm -hmm. and accepting what the Bible accepts as mm -hmm. a possibility, and wow. then looking at history. So I've, been, so I've been doing this now for over 15 years. And I didn't write my first book until 2014 when I wrote The Rapture Will Be Canceled. Yeah. Well, uh, before you move on, I'll just say I, I, I love that you just laid that out there like that. Um, you know, me personally, I would love for God just to open up the heavens and just explain something to me. Or I can, you know, just pick up the phone and, and, and just and just get that revelation, understanding. Right. And to, but you said that you you looked at every view you could and then you went to the bible to see 
what you've read, if that is true. And I think that's so wise because oftentimes, as you mentioned, you were doing a radio broadcast, you wanted to teach dispensationalism. Um, oftentimes, instead of the, you know, what you had done, the response is, well, let me just look at everything I can about dispensationalism and let me just forward that on and, and, and right. reproduce what I've been taught. Um, I love that you didn't just accept something because you you liked it uh, or it felt good to you. Um, you well, here's the fact is, God, I felt God called me to teach the Bible, right. not dispensationalism. So yeah. if I'm going to teach it, I have to find it in the Bible. That, yeah. that was the position God put me in. So there yeah. was no going back for, to, from that for me today, you know, for that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so you're on this journey um, and obviously you landed on this historic premillennial view, um, which may not be what you're seeing, you know, dispensationalism, as you mentioned, is, is popular. So how did you, how did you land on this view? Uh, and then why did you feel compelled to, to write your own book on it? Uh, well, because, you know, I, if, if, if you, my latest, well, one of my latest books, my 2020 book is a reform prophecy interpretation because through my Bible study, I became reformed because the reformers went back to establish a primitive Christian church. That's basically what they did. That's what the reformation was all about. It was leaving off everything that wasn't biblical. Mm. And so uh, in, on my journey, I became reformed in theology and reformed in eschatology, but I found that reformed eschatology uh, does a lot of the same things that dispensationalism done, which we can talk about if we're going to talk about uh, the millennial, uh, the millennial reign of Christ and uh, a millennialism versus premillennialism. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Um, so I really just want to focus on, you know, giving uh, your your interpretation of the premillennialism as, as opposed to just uh comparing of course you know, we can that's going to come up uh, obviously uh, as a way to shed more light on what premillennialism is but go ahead and for those that really don't know what the historic premillennial view is define the view um and then maybe just give like a, a brief history of maybe the other views and what what the how it stands okay out. okay well premillennialism and i'm reading this from my book uh, from the footnotes in my book, is premillennialism is a thesis derived from the plain reading of Revelation chapter 20, which has Christ coming before the thousand period outlined in the text itself, after the resurrection of all the saints, both old and New Testament, both the Old and New Testament elect of God, beginning, uh, beginning of the fulfillment of the covenants from both epochs of the promised blessed reign of Messiah and Christ, culminating in a new heaven and earth at the end of the final or seventh millennium. Is that concise enough? Yeah, so how, is that, how does that differ from the other popular views out there? Okay, well, you have post-millennialism and amillennialism, but post-millennialism is another brand of amillennialism. Uh, the difference between those two, post-millennials believe that the church will be become prominent 
and rule for Christ for the last thousand years without Christ appearing. So it's really amillennialism under a different brand. But right. amillennialism, the, the popular and the even, even in the Reformed Church, is the belief that the present church age from some time in the first century, exactly when can vary with the expositor, until the return of Jesus is what is referred to as the 1,000 years of Revelation chapter 20. Of course, the reference must be only figurative for the long period of time, concluding upon Christ's return. Gotcha, yeah. So, uh, and then there's, there's two different takes on premillennialism, dispensational and historic. So what's the difference between those two? Okay, dispensational futurism is the belief in a pre-tribulation secret rapture of the Gentile church and separate plans of salvation and covenant for the Gentile church and the Jewish nation, requiring a seven-year tribulation period for God to deal specifically with the Jewish nation before the return of Christ. They also embrace several gap theories, one inserted into the 70 weeks of Daniel, and the other gap overleaps the entire church era in the book of Revelation. Okay, and the historic view? Uh, the historicism is the tenet that the chap the chapter 6 through 19 of the Revelation contain the prophecy of the church in the world from the end of the first century until the second coming of Christ, resurrection of the saints, and the establishment of Jesus' earthly reign for the final millennium of this creation era. History verifies that which has already been fulfilled understanding of the cryptic symbols and events described vary among different expositors, especially as to those things which are yet future. Historicists are united for the most part on the 1260-year reign of the papacy, his filling the second Thessalonians II seat of the man of sin, and the Roman church being the great apostasy commensurate with the same text. The 70 weeks of Daniel being contiguous and terminating seven years after Jesus' appearance as Messiah at his river, Jordan River baptism. Gotcha. So in summary, uh, we have you know two, two major different views on the millennium. One that says this is going to be a thousand years that Christ is here on earth. One yes. sect of that dispensation says that that we're, we're looking for a seven-year tribulation to precede that. The historic view is, is that we're looking for tribulation essentially throughout church history. And then we're looking at the separate view there of the millennium is just essentially being spiritual where the entire church or, age. Or figurative, yeah. Or figurative, Figure, yeah. yeah. So we're looking at basically the church age being the millennium. So there's not a, an actual literal thousand years with Christ reigning on the earth. Correct. And, in the kind of the, the two distinctions there uh, between the the post and and the all millennials, the post is looking for essentially the the church to Christianize the world before Christ can come back, whereas the all millennials are, are are still kind of looking at tribulation to precede the the second coming of Christ. Is that sounds right? A fair summary. Okay, so just want to just for the listener. Um, so they just kind of know the distinctions there. So part of where there's a split there on, on the millennium has to do with the dating of uh, the, the writing of the book of Revelation and 
traditionally, if we look at it written in 95 AD, um, that sort of points towards most of what we're looking at in the book itself um, being yet to be fulfilled throughout history or in the future. Whereas if you hold to the view that it's written prior to 70 AD, uh, many post-millennials will say that most of what we're reading in Revelation was fulfilled in that judgment of Jerusalem with the destroying of the temple. Well, that, um, that would be more of a preterist view adopted by a millennial also. Yeah, I mean, I think, but, you know, from my understanding is that a millennials don't necessarily have to be preterists, but. Right, um, right, exactly. Yeah. But they I'm did really, adopt the, that view because somehow it upholds, but I don't really up, believe it upholds their their view at all. Okay. Yeah, well, get me, so there's sort of a lot that uh, we can go to as far as why one would date it before or after, but you had something in your book uh, specifically about the Church of Jerusalem that I never heard before that I thought was really Oh, okay, okay. The, dating the Revelation. Let, let me go to this page in my text here. In, in the Revelation, Jesus appears to John and he says, what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. Hmm. So it's in this case, the book is about the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. So we're right. talking about the things which are, and specifically, who are the seven churches in the last decade of the first century. They would be the churches planted by the Hebrew apostles and Jewish converts, who are told by Jesus himself to flee Judea before the desolation of the Jewish temple and nation, and their disciples, the grafted and Gentiles, which lived in the nations where they fled. By this time, these two groups would have been well intermarried. They were called Christians. They were God's chosen people, the elect. This mixed church of Hebrews and Gentiles in the nations where they fled and took the gospel, these are the people that made up the 95 AD church that Jesus said he would build. Jesus specifically addresses the revelation to these seven prominent churches of Asia, outlining the things which are and the things which shall be after, hereafter. The things which are, are the seven churches to whom Jesus proceeds to dictate seven epistles outlining their present condition. Now, if the revelation were written before the destruction of Jerusalem, as the preterist hypothesis require, and some of the amillennialists prefer about 60 AD, then Jesus neglected the most prominent church of that day, where the first several church councils took place, and are recorded in the book of Acts, the church at Jerusalem was the most prominent church of the pre-destruction era and would be one of the churches which are. It is, however, conspicuously absent from the seven churches named in the Revelation epistles. That is because it no longer existed in the last decade of the first century. When the Revelation was written, that is why we have no external record of the Revelation before the destruction of Jerusalem, or 95 AD. This internal evidence alone precludes the preterist interpretation of the revelation that it is of the destruction of Jerusalem. If predestination, as they contend, that it would not be primarily, that the revelation would not be primarily addressed to the church at Jerusalem is unthinkable. Additionally, with the absence of any empirical evidence in their favor, it completely overthrows the hypotheses and conjecture 
on which their pre-destruction date solely depends. If, so there it is. That's all they got is hypothesis yeah. and conjecture. Their hypothesis solely depends upon air. Nothing. Yeah, so something I never really heard of, but it, you made a really good point that um, had that been written at, you know, prior to 70 AD, it does really beg the question why the Church of Jerusalem isn't addressed. Um, and uh, so I think that's, that's pretty good internal evidence, as you said. Well, this is the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis, we draw our interpretation from the scripture. Eisegesis, we want to impute our, our you know, speculation into the Bible. And that's right. what's been done. Yeah. Um, the day for a year principle is pretty prominent, uh, important for someone that holds to this historic view we so can you explain that and its relevance to to the historic view well let's see the day for a year theory or principle and historicism now that that gets in pretty deep that that'd take a lot more time to get into i well, spend just, uh, just gotta, you know for someone that doesn't several you know, chapters okay well here's here's how i i determine whether we apply a day for a year theory uh did it play out on a day for a year scale in history if it did, well, then yes. Now, even, even the dispensationalists, they agree that the Daniel 70 weeks prophecy is a day for a year okay, right. because it's 490 year prophecy. The only difference between the historicists and the, the uh, dispensationalists on this or the future dispensationalists on this uh, fact is that they put a gap in between the 69th and the 70th week. They impute a gap eisegetically into the scripture that is not there to support their speculation. Whereas the historicists say, no, there's no place for a gap here. As, as badly as I would like to have one there, uh, I cannot put one in there. The 70 weeks must be contiguous. And if we search history and we search the Bible, we can see that the entire 70 weeks, everything that was required to happen within that 70 weeks was fulfilled on the ground in history by the end of the 70th week. And that 70th week ended um, seven years after Jesus appeared. The 70th week was the week of the Messiah, not the week of the Antichrist. And that's why you find no mention of the Antichrist in the 70 weeks prophecy. And the proper uh, antecedent noun for he in the text of uh, Daniel 9.27 is the Messiah and none other. Right. Yeah. So we see that you, you see that the 70th week fulfilled in, in, in Christ's um, ministry, right? Essentially starting at his baptism. Uh, where does right. it end? Where does it end? It ends uh, seven years later. In the midst right. of the week, he was cut off, not by him, uh, for himself, but for the people. And in the midst of the week, he put an end to the sacrifice and oblation by the sacrifice of himself. Now, the dispensationalists want to take those prophecies of the Messiah and what he did and give them to an Antichrist in the future, and, and in the last seven years before Christ returns, and put the Antichrist in the temple. Okay, the abomination that maketh desolate is a wrong sacrifice that uh, 
was established or, or, or standing in the temple, because when you see the abomination that make it desolate standing, okay, so they made it a standing practice, even after the Messiah sacrificed himself, the once for all sacrifice happened, God put an end to the sacrifice, there was a, an earthquake uh, in the temple, they, and the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, they could not do a sacrifice until they repaired the veil and, and made repairs to the temple, but, and they did that, and they continued on with the animal sacrifice, that was the abomination that maketh desolate, it was an abominable sacrifice, and three and a half years later, because you'll notice at Pentecost, uh, the, the Jews in Jerusalem received the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice three years, three and a half years later, the Jews were astonished because the Gentiles also received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that was because the Gentiles did not receive the Holy Ghost until the 70th week was over. The time to determine was finished. And so the gospel went to the Gentiles and the Gentiles began to receive the Holy Ghost too. And that was about 34 AD. We gotcha. find that in the book of Acts. Right, yeah. So you see Cornelius and his baptism sort of being uh, a marker at the end of that week. Yeah, well, in, in Acts, it's recorded that they, the Jews were astonished because the, the Gentiles began to receive the Holy Ghost. And that was about 34 AD. Right. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so how do we see this, you know, day for a year principle, right? We see that there's 70, 70 okay. years. So um, we accept that there is a day for a year principle. Yeah. And I, I personally only apply it where I can see it. I, Cause I know others have said everything that says a day is, is a day for a year, but I don't believe that either. Some things that say they're a day are a day. And I do make those differentiations in, in my book uh, to show people exactly what they are and why. Um, I do believe, as I said in my definition of historicism, that most historicists are agreed that the 1260 years, um, the times, time and half a time, the, the 42 months are all referring to the same period of time, and they mesh uh, between Daniel and the Revelation and overlap those times they mesh together there so that you can put the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of the Revelation together because you can't understand the Revelation fully without Daniel and you can't understand Daniel fully without the Revelation. But those time frames all mesh together and they all point to the same period of time. And in different places, they point to different things that happened during that same period of time. Okay. Understood? So I believe that that 1260 years is definitely a day for a year. And there are a couple others, which I'm not as familiar with, but they're in the scripture. And I outline most of those in my book, there are there are a few others that I don't focus on too much, because they don't really have a lot to do with the time we're living in. They're more historical. And I have a lot yet to learn about history myself. So gotcha. I'm, my, my education is ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we're saying about, about Daniel, because we see at the end of that book that the prophecy is sealed uh, until the time in the end. And then in Revelation, we see basically the opposite of that is where it's it, prophecy is unsealed. Um, so often this 1,260 year 
prophecy you're referring to is thought of as three and a half years we got, because we see it referred to as 42 months, three and a half years, uh, and 1,260 uh, 1, days. And so you're saying that this is 1,260 years. Where do we see that fulfilled? Well, we see that fulfilled in history from the rise of the Antichrist until he was deposed about the French Revolution. He lost his temporal reign. Uh, during that 1260 years, the Antichrist and his, his minions and his church and his agents, and uh, through the temporal reigns of the kings that he controlled in Western Europe, uh, they committed genocide and killed hundreds of millions of true Bible believers and anyone else for that matter uh, that would not go along with their church and be part of their church and submit to their church. And that it, we're speaking, of course, the Roman Catholic Church is that great apostasy that reigned over the church with its man of sin or the Antichrist, the man who sits on that seat in the Vatican, that is the seat of the Antichrist. And he ruled and he reigned for 1260 years. That reign, the temporal reign of the Antichrist came to an end about the time of the French Revolution. And we have a historical, uh, it, it's all history. If you read the Hori Apocalyptica, uh, you can read about that history. And people can read the Hori Apocalyptica free. It's easy. Uh, then go to horiapocalyptica.wordpress.com and uh, read the entire text there. I've done a Reformation Quincentennial edition there, so I've updated it up to today. Hmm. So you can get the updated division uh, there for free. Oh, cool. I, I, I did not know that, uh, so that's neat. So I guess since we're already talking about fulfillment, uh, if you could just give us a um, brief right summary of the historic view on how a lot of what we're seeing in Revelation has been fulfilled in history, so I thought I'd kind of just go through some of some of the some of the major characters and events and see if we can just define their fulfillment. Well, you know, like the major one is the 1260 year reign of the Antichrist, uh, right. the man of sin. And it is the greatest apostasy that has ever risen up and still exists today. This great apostasy, because a lot of times the dispensationalist futures are still waiting for the great apostasy, or they're exclaiming now, they're looking at stuff that is clearly apostate in the world today, and they're going, oh, this is the great apostasy. Well, no, the greatest apostasy has risen up, has existed for more than 1260 years, even though the head of the great apostasy did reign for 1260 years, uh, this great apostasy still exists. Uh, it is like, what, two billion strong, greater than any of the other uh, apostasies that you can name out there. Uh, so it still exists today as the greatest apostasy that uh, has ever been or, well, will ever be, on, you know, in this era ending. Yeah. Of course, this era ends with the return of Christ. Uh, all it's, it's a lot to unload. It's a lot to unpack for people in a short amount of time. And people should look into this. Like I said, the, the resources are free. The Hore Apocalyptica is there uh, for people to look at and deter, you know, read it for themselves. Uh, you can pick, there's, it's a four volume set. You can pick the volume 
to, to, to see what's happening now. You can go to volume three and you can look at a lot of the, the topics there in volume three, like uh, the rise of the two horned earth beast, I believe is America, uh, the image of the beast. And I'm writing a book on um, an exposition of the, of the beast, of the apocalyptic beast and its uh, related symbols right now is a book I'm working on to clarify a lot of that. But if you go to horeapocalyptica.wordpress.com, let's see if I go there right now, and you click on volume three, you can scroll down and learn about the beast powers today and read chapter nine, uh, Rise of the Two-Horned Earth Beasts. And there's four sections of it, which everyone should be concerned with. Uh, section one is attributes of the earth beast prefigured in the vision. Uh, number two is identity of the earth beast prefigured in the vision. And this is, of course, relating to chapter 13 of the Revelation. And section three is the earth beast creates the image of the beast. And of course, the image of the beast for our, uh, our divine interpretation, we always go to the scripture and say, well, how do we determine what these symbols mean? from the scripture itself. And we get, a, I believe, a divine interpretation on what the image of the beast is from Daniel chapter two, from what I call the mystery Babylon image of Daniel's dream. And there God says, God gives Daniel not only the dream, but an interpretation for the dream. And anytime God gives an interpretation for symbol, some, uh, symbolic language used, in prophecy, that's what we call divine interpretation. And somewhere, when God uses a symbol, somewhere in the Bible, you're going to find a divine interpretation for that symbol. Between Daniel and the Revelation, usually that is where you'll find your symbols. So what is this image that this earth beast, this two-horned earth beast creates that ultimately leads to the end-time mark of the beast? There's always been a mark of the beast. If someone worships statues like the mother of God, that would be a mark of the beast. If you participate in, in false miracles like transubstantiation, that would be a mark of the beast. If you worship the Antichrist, the papacy, a man, then that's a mark of the beast. So anything that identifies you with uh, you know, the, the great apostate church and the beast is a mark of the beast. But there is a peculiarity when this earth beast rises, creates this image, and this mark of the beast comes about that requires everyone on the earth to receive a mark in order to buy or sell, okay? in order to engage in commerce with the world. There is something different about that. And that is something that we all need. Obviously, if you have any clue as to what's going on today, uh, that we something we should all be concerned with as to what is going on there and what we're looking out for when we're speaking, especially in the case that there is no pre-tribulation rapture. We are in the rap in in we are in the tribulation of those days that is expressed in Daniel, I mean, in Matthew chapter 24, where it, it references the tribulation of those days. It doesn't say, it says there shall be great tribulation. It doesn't say there shall be the great seven-year tribulation. You know, that's a, that's a complete construct. Uh, 
but it does say there shall be tribulation or the tribulation of those days preceding the return of Christ. And we are in it and no one's going to be raptured out of it because there is no rapture in the Bible. I do believe in the resurrection. Jesus is coming, but he's not coming in one of the three raptures, you know, the pre or the mid or the post, none of them. I'm not post tribulation anymore. Although I do believe he's coming after the tribulation of those days because his return and what, what happens when he returns is going to end the tribulation of these days. But there is no seven-year period of tribulation. I call that the seven-year tribulation deception. And I even wrote a book about that, and it's called When the Third Temple is Built. Uh, and so I outline a possibility of what could happen uh, when there is no tribulation and they start building a temple. So yeah, people mm. might find that interesting. And I give people a free e-copy or, or PDF of that. If they go to my website, there's a free ebook tab there. They click on that, follow the instructions, and I'll send them a PDF or an EPUB of that book. Absolutely free. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. I think you maybe wrote a little bit about that in, in this, uh, in this book. Yes. Uh, yes, so you hinted at some of that. It's, it's very interesting. So um, I want to get to sort of today and kind of unfulfilled prophecies and what you expect expect um, from now until the coming of Christ. But I, I think it'd be helpful to kind of define from the historic view, since so much of this is fulfilled, you know, yeah. that's what the view is. is let, let's kind of get into what, what is fulfilled and we can kind of, you know, catch up to, to what is not. So um, I want to start with just the look at, you know, just kind of give us brief, just kind of your understanding of the seals, trumpets, and bowls, and how those, uh, you know, what's been fulfilled, and what hasn't from this, the seals, trumpets, and bowls. I believe that uh, we are in, I, I call it the three frog era, and this would be the, the, um, the sixth seal, I believe, if I'm getting my, the sixth seal, uh, which ended the reign of the Antichrist, also loosed these three frog like spirits on the earth and they're they're frog-like spirits because they're uh the frog is noisy the is the frog symbol uh in history as a matter of uh is is thought of to be loquacious if you understand the meaning they never shut up and they just get louder and louder as a matter of fact the frogs were so bad in france that rich people used to pay someone at night to go flog the the swamps around their residents to shut the frogs up they're so loquacious and so these three frog spirits are getting louder and louder as a matter of fact the evil is getting so loud presently uh that we are getting means that we're getting closer and closer to the end have you noticed how prominent uh the voices of evil have become in our society and throughout the world it is inescapable everywhere you turn i mean the tyranny the evil being pushed, you know, just like critical race theory, um, this, you know, um, uh, what do they call it, gender identity stuff, all of this evil, homosexuality, all of this evil is being pushed even now on our children and throughout the society. You can't escape it. You can be, you know, excluded if you don't accept it. You are required almost to accept it now. You know, here, absolutely, in America, where we still have some semblance of a freedom of religion and freedom of speech, but uh, the sound of evil and the oppression of evil is becoming heavier and heavier as, as we progress toward 
uh, the return of Christ, because it says that these, these three frogs are loosed, these three frog-like spirits are loosed in preparation to prepare the world for the great day of God Almighty, and that is the, G the day that Jesus returns, and uh, to sort out and let everyone know exactly where they stand, the evil with the evil, and, you know, those that are on God's side are standing on the right side, and perhaps suffering persecution. So we're also seeing rising persecution, uh, even in Western countries, not so much in America, but yes, it has been here, and it is here. Uh, uh, people are dying for their faith in other parts of the world, but many believe that it could come here to America. But my um, interpretation of the uh, two-horned earth beast as America uh, leads me to believe that these two horns, because horns are a division of power in a beast, um, there's nothing that says one horn rises higher than the other. So we have this dichotomy in America of this, uh, this division of power, uh, one being lamb-like, and the other speaking like a dragon. And we can see this, this uh, tug of rope, so to speak, in America right now going on between good and evil. And it almost seems like it's at loggerheads, like, you know, a lot of evil is prevailing, yet we keep pushing back with, with good on the evil. Where it'll end? Well, well, we'll have to see. But that's the struggle that America's in. In other parts of the world, we can see that the evil is overtaking the good, like what's happening in Australia is becoming totalitarian now. A lot of people thought, you know, several decades ago and so forth, that, that it would be a safer bet to move to Australia. And next thing you know, they, they, they confiscated all the guns and they were running over them with, a, with a, you know, um, paving machines to flatten them. And now they become so totalitarian with this, uh, with this, uh, you know, panic demic that they began a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so we, we see everything is moving more towards digital, more toward more totalitarian control, and everything is moving in line with what we see as what, what I call the coming mark of the beast inquisitions. Because for the prophecy to be fulfilled, for them to impose a worldwide monetary mark that everyone will need to participate in commerce controlled by the beast governments of men, um, they will need an inquisition. And an inquisition is where they ask each individual their stand and they ask them for their mark of the beast in order to participate. And we see a lot of this going on with they're throwing around this this, uh, this vaccine pass and all this stuff that's going on, it all smacks of putting this order in place, you know, because in some places there, you can't go into the supermarket unless you show them a, you know, a pass, uh, your yeah. mark, that you have been identified as someone who is qualified to participate. Hmm. That's where we're at. Hmm. So, um... So I want to circle back around because, you know, it's from what you're saying, you know, there seems to be a, a lot of prophetic that, that's still yet to be fulfilled. So I, I want to get a grasp of what has been fulfilled just to flesh out what, what do we, when we read the book of Revelation, what are we looking at that's been fulfilled and what's still yet future? So 
I think you said we're in the, the three frog era. If I'm not mistaken, that's well, this this era lasts until Christ returns. So there are a few things that are hap that still have yet to happen, uh, but very few. Okay, uh, one, um, the destruction of uh, of the of of Babylon of mystery Babylon, I believe, because it says that the ten that the ten horned beast turns on because Babylon is the woman that rides the beast with the names of blasphemy. Of course, when you see the names of blasphemy, we're talking about a religious power here. And of course, that religious power must be the referenced great apostasy with its man of sin at the head. So where you see the destruction of Babylon is an event that will happen before Christ returns. And so I don't see this happening uh, immediately. I mean, we, you know, as far as I can figure, we've got less than 40 years, maybe less than 35 years uh, before Christ returns. But I see that I, I believe that the mystery Babylon or the great apostate church will be around for most of what's left of that time, maybe at least half of it. So we've got a while to go before that happens. And, you know, myself being, you know, an old man, uh, you know, 30 years is, is likely I won't be alive then. So, I mean, personally, I'd like to see Christ come in my lifetime. So I'm going to hang on as long as I can. Uh, but whether I do or not, it really doesn't matter. And it's all in his hands uh, because either uh, I go to him or, or I meet him when he comes, you know, it's the same effect. Uh, so that's, that's one major event. The only really major event that I see that's left on the horizon mm. before Christ returns. And beside that, before that will happen, the imposition of the mark of the beast inquisitions. And I see that coming. Uh, if, we're, if, we're go, if I'm correct and the image of the beast is the United Nations, they have their 2030 agenda. And part of that agenda, I believe that this this panic-demic that they've imposed on the world in lockstep, if you're familiar with that term at all, uh, shows that there is a power behind the scenes. And I believe it is the power of the Antichrist in his shadow government working behind the scenes in lockstep throughout the whole world. Because if the Antichrist is to rule before Christ returns, then that means that he must be here and it's not too much of a step to say that, yes, he is ruling even now, but the Antichrist learned his lesson from history. He learned not to put himself out there in the front because the repercussions of him putting himself out in the front uh, were very severe at the end of the 1260 years. So he works behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, I believe the revelation depicts the workings of the Antichrist when it says the whole world wonders when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is see because during the 1260 years it was evident it was and before that 1260 years it definitely was during the pagan rome era of the church but then you went from the pagan rome era to the holy roman empire era of 1260 years that ended about the time of the french revolution and it seemed that the the temporal power of the papacy of the Vatican nearly disappeared. As a matter of fact, it seemed to fade away to nothing. Okay? But behind the scenes, 
uh, his shadow government, which was established 500 years ago, and their operating manual was written uh, four to 500 years ago, and they have operated on that manual. And it becomes evidence once you have this information and that history has not been hidden from you by the Antichrist and his shadow government itself. They have hidden that history from Protestants and now evangelicals so that nobody knows the history. So they therefore they don't know what they're looking for. So, but the Antichrist and his shadow government are in full control everywhere in the world, and they are the ones who are imposing this, working behind the scenes with, with several to many layers of uh, culpable deniability to protect themselves from a world that turned on them at one time and nearly destroyed them about the time of the French Revolution. But the head wound has been healed. And they are in full control of everything now. They control the money powers. Of course, the Antichrist has to control the money powers. How else is he going to require through his image uh, to that everyone receive a mark to buy or sell a trade unless he has total control? And it is his money because it is a fiat currency. They did away with all of the real money. And that was why they needed to do away with uh, or... I call what I call the Federal Reserve coup of the U.S. Treasury that happened in 1913 with the Federal Reserve Act. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, that the Federal Reserve is neither federal, uh, neither does it have any reserves, but is a private banking control, uh, which uh, many, uh, several authors have called the Vatican's bankers, and mm. they control the monetary systems with the World Bank. All of that is controlled by the Antichrist and his shadow government working behind the scenes. So let's define what, what is the Antichrist, false prophet, and image. Because if if that papacy, the Holy Roman Empire, as you're saying that you know 1,260 years, if that is the the Antichrist is reign. Um, okay, well, okay, let's let's let's, about, like let's, let's unpack that. Let's, let's unpack that, okay? Uh, the Antichrist and the image, okay? Uh, the Antichrist, the seat of the Antichrist is the papacy in the Vatican. Uh, the image is the United Nations through which the Antichrist vicariously rules the world. Okay, he does, the, the, the United Nations is belongs to the Antichrist, is it controlled by the Antichrist and his shadow government, which is really an army, okay? These people work in the shadows, but in plain sight, if you know where to look for them and you know who they are, they become plain, okay? For the world, it's not plain. For me, 10, 20 years ago, it, I didn't see nothing, okay? A good primer on how the Antichrist and shadow uh, government work is a book called Rulers of Evil, of which you can't even buy a copy because the Antichrist owns the copyright, the author is dead, and they control the copyright of that book, and they will not allow it to be printed. But it's called Rulers of Evil. I have a PDF on my website. People can get there and download that PDF for free and read it, because it's about America, okay? And this is a very good primer for people if they want to know how the Antichrist works. Uh, F. Tupper Saucy's Rulers of Evil. 
Uh, you can look it up. There are several PDFs on the internet, but you go to my website, crosstheborder.org. That's C-R-O-S-S, not across, but crosstheborder.org, as in the cross. Crosstheborder.org. Click on the Bible studies tab there, and there's a list of references, and you'll see the in the references there, you'll see rulers of evil. Every American should read this book, especially every Christian American. Hmm. And uh, then you'll understand how the shadow government works for the Antichrist to subvert and overthrow nations. And he does and he has. Okay, so they control the money. They own the money. We don't have money anymore. Used to be we, we owned our money in America. That was one of the founding tenets of the American nation. All money shall be gold and silver. Nothing else shall be acceptable for money. But they took our gold and silver away. That way it's a fiat usury currency. It has no substance. It has no weight. A just balance and a, a just weight are mine, saith the Lord. So this, we have an abominable monetary, demonic monetary system in the world right now. And guess who controls it? Of course, the Antichrist controls it. They want it all digital. They want to do away with every nuance of, of ownership. Because right now I can, I can hold paper money I can control it completely. They don't even want that. They want total, complete control over money for everyone on the planet so that they can control every individual. That's why an individual mark of the beast inquisition is coming for everyone on the planet. And if you do not participate, then um, you will not be allowed to, to uh, engage in commerce in his monetary system. And that's what is going on. That's where everything that you see happening for the last year and a half, that's where it's leading. This is how the Antichrist and his shadow government work. These people are, are genius, diabolically geniuses. They are, they are genius in their evil and in the way they work in the world because they have a master who never goes away, has been here for every generation since the Garden of Eden behind them. Oh, a lot of them are being used and they don't even know that they're part, what they're part of, but they're controlled by Satan and his minions, all doing his will to bring about what the Bible prophecy tells us is going to happen. And it, we can see that it's played out in history, and historicism is the only uh, method of Bible interpretation, one, that the Bible teaches, and it actually lays out history uh, as it unfolds. So that's... Or prophecy what, uh, as it unfolds. Yeah, that's what, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out, because if we're reading Revelation 13, um, is it your understanding that that has taken place in history or it's taking place in the future? It's where it, it's, it's taking place right now. This is immediate. That's confusing me because the historic view, it seems to be that that chapter is about, um, well, we can see the earth beast has already risen up. It's already created the image. It's become part of history. We are in that history. The mark is now developing. And if anyone can't see that going on, then they can't see anything. Uh, I think it's obvious to every Christian on earth that what is going on now all tends toward the development of the mark of the beast. That this, this, 
this panic demic that we've been going through is like a push to get us there in the 10 year period that they've outlined with for what they call their 2030 agenda. And not only that, I believe now I can, now I would be speculating here and I am speculating, but not so much because you've heard of the Abraham Accord, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, the Abraham Accord is developing uh, in, in throughout the Mid East, um, uh, what do you call them, uh, places where the the two the Abrahamic faiths come together on a uh, on a on a compound throughout the Middle East. Well, the final place that the Abraham Accord, the real push for the Abraham Accord, is to make it happen on the Temple Mount. Okay, and what they need for the Abraham Accord is to bring for bring forward the, the three Abrahamic faiths. Of course, one being Islam, the other being Judaism, and the third, of course, not true Christianity, but fake Christianity, okay? And who is behind this Abraham Accord? Who is the real power behind it? Well, it's the Antichrist and his shadow government. You'll see the Jesuit Pope out there behind it in everywhere you look, uh, pushing this thing forward. And they're going to get it on the Temple Mount. That's what they're pushing for. So it seems that it's going to happen on the Temple Mount. Now, this isn't Bible prophecy, but this is false prophecy. And the Antichrist is behind the false prophecy. He wants to push it because he wants to discredit the Bible, I believe. Now, I'm speculating. I'm going off. I'm telling you right now, I'm going off into speculation a little bit. And yeah. I'm saying if they want to complete their seven-year tribulation play by 2030, to have it done in time for their 2030 agenda, that by 2023, they will have to begin the, the Abraham Accord on the Temple Mount. And there will be no rapture when they establish the Abraham Accord on the Temple Mount. There will be no rapture when it begins. There will be no rapture three and a half years later. And there will be no rapture seven years later in 2030 if they keep that time schedule. And then the Antichrist can see, say the Bible was wrong because the Bible prophecy that you all believed in, which he created, which he got them to believe in, the pre-tribulation rapture was wrong. And he's going to say, come home to the true church. The Antichrist is going to stand up because he will have his place on the Temple Mount. It won't be a Baptist church, believe me. <laughs> They'll all be welcome. You know, all of them can come and enjoy the cathedral that is going to be built of the three Abrahamic faiths, all of which are false. Islam, Judaism rejects the Messiah. And of course, there has to be a representation of the apostate church and all of the other churches that are also apostate on the earth to have their temple on the Abraham Accord event when it happens. Okay, so that's what we can look forward to, something like that happening. And like I, I said, you. that's speculation, but it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, so if I'm understanding this correctly, your speculation is, is that the Antichrist wants to run out a fake tribulation. Seven-year tribulation sort of expecting that fall in the dispensational view where it plays out without a rapture for the purpose of 
destroying, I guess, one's view in Christianity or the Hebrew or, God. Or discrediting the Bible. Right. Or discrediting the Bible. Because believe people believe that this is Bible prophecy. And if it's discredited by no raptures, then that's his, because he is the final arbiter. He is, he is, you know, when he speaks ex cathedra, he's speaking for God above the Bible. See, they, they don't, they, they killed millions of people for, for following the Bible. If they caught you with the Bible, they would burn you with your Bible in history for 1260 years. That's what they did. That's history. And anyone can read about that history. Uh, you can start with Fox's Book of Martyrs and read about it. Then read James A. Wiley's History of Protestantism, three volumes, and it'll open your eyes. And when you, when you know history, then it becomes clear what is actually going on around you now. So you think at the end of this tribulation period that many people... That, that runs out this fake tribulation that the antichrist right. then the mark of the beast speculation yeah. that uh, after that runs out there's no rapture um then you expect a an embracement of the antichrist until christ returns um well a, a lot of people will embrace the antichrist but he's going to call it and say the bible was wrong that the true interpretation is what's going to be a post-millennial type of uh, post-millennials type of interpretation of, of amillennialism. And then Pope is saying, God has put me here to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. So a lot of post-millennials may fall and go, well, yeah, that's what we believe. And, but it's discrediting the Bible because he doesn't want people to believe the Bible. He wants them to turn to the great apostate church that he's the head of. That's hmm. what he's going to say. And so none of the raptures are going to happen. He's going to stand up at the end of it and say, see, we were correct, but Christ is coming back. He's just not coming back on that timetable. See, that's the great deception. The Antichrist made a timetable for Christ to come back on. So when they start the Abraham Accord, that starts the seven-year timetable. And if it isn't pre-trib, how convenient to have a multiple choice prophecy. There's no multiple choice prophecies in the Bible. It's all thus saith the Lord. Okay. So if it doesn't happen pre, well, the, then it must be mid. Oh, well, it didn't happen mid. Well, it must be post. Well, mm -hmm. voila, it doesn't happen post. It's none of those. So then the Bible is wrong. But no, the Bible wasn't wrong. That was false prophecy that was invented to discredit the Bible. So you would walk away from it because. What did we talk about in the beginning? God speaks to people through his word. But if you discredit the word, it, keep people, it keeps people away from it. That's really interesting. Um, speculation. So in, in, in continuing with the speculation, you believe that it'll be after that point, after this? Well, that's when the 2030 okay. agenda, they want to start the Mark of the Beast Inquisitions in 2030. Right. I got you. Okay. So that's part of it. All of this will come together then, and he <laughs> will have complete power again. But the scripture says that somewhere between that time and when Christ returns, that a lot of, a lot of people are going to figure out that they've been used and manipulated, and they're going to turn on the whore and destroy her with fire. So that's the other event. 
that we're talking about, chapter 18 of the Revelation, the destruction of Mystery Babylon. Gotcha. So you, so when you're reading Revelation, um, you're seeing as it's fulfilled up until the sixth bowl, because that's the three frog era. I think you said seal yeah. earlier. That is yeah. really six, the sixth six vial. It's the vial. Vials, yeah, vials, bowls, that, you know, depending right. on the interpretation. So we have the six, we have six seals fulfilled. Correct. Those are all seven, fulfilled. seven seals fulfilled, seven trumpets fulfilled. And then we're all the way up at that one, two, three, four, five, sixth bowl. So we're essentially right. waiting for that. As you yeah, mentioned, we are in that three frog era, the destruction of Babylon. So really, right. we're, we're looking for the, yeah, we're yes. looking for the imposition of the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast inquisitions, and then ultimately the destruction of the mist of mystery Babylon and at, followed by the return of Christ. Now, when each one happens, how much time before each will have to live and see? Gotcha. And so your understanding of chapter 13 being nestled like right there in the middle after those trumpets, you're saying that's, is any of that okay. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the past? Because you, you refer to Antichrist, I'm assuming as the Pope, right? So basically- Okay, okay well, let's, let's put it, so chapter 12, of the revelation, you have the crowns upon the heads. Okay, right? You have the you have the beast with the crowns upon the heads, and the heads representing Rome. And that I definitely think that refers to pagan Rome. Of course, then the crowns move the from the head, from the heads to the horns. When Rome, when uh, Roman Empire, when pagan Rome fell. It was divided into 10 kingdoms, or there were 10 divisions of power uh, throughout the Roman Empire in its history since uh, the fall of pagan Rome. The Antichrist ruled using those 10 crowned kingdoms to judge people, to war on different tribes, and, and, you know, and to run his inquisitions. Okay? Uh, then the head that controlled the beast was wounded. That was when the papacy lost its temporal power. The wound has been healed. A lot of people say that was about uh, 1929 when the Vatican regained its sovereign status okay, and became a sovereign nation in the eyes of the world. Before that, from the end of the uh, French Revolution uh, up until that time, it was simply a part of Italy. Okay? And Rome was the capital of the nation as it was in pagan times. Um, but, but now the Vatican is a separate nation. And it vicariously, because it doesn't openly rule temporally anymore, it vicariously rules through the image of the beast and through its intrigue in all the nations, always having cover. But when, when its cover is blown, so to speak, that's when we get the destruction of Mystery Babylon. That's when the 10 horns turn on the little horn power or uh, the whore that rides the beast, the beast with 10 horns, turns on it and destroys her with fire. And then sometime after that, we have the, the return of Christ. And then all of the nations of the world are gonna to try to stand up against Jesus and all of his saints when he returns. Hmm. So, Antichrist is alive and well, 
the Antichrist is a succession, like the president of the United States. It's so, a succession of men that fill the seat because no man can live forever. And as far as the Antichrist having a seven-year tribulation, he can't pull off a rapture because he doesn't have that power in the same way that he doesn't have the power to live forever. So the Antichrist can't live forever, but he has a man fill that seat. Satan has a man fill that seat in succession, one after another. So you have your official man of sin or uh, Pope, Papa, call no man, Father, sitting in the seat of the man of sin uh, throughout all these generations, just as the scripture said. It's the only way man can pull it off, because man does not have supernatural powers. Even the Antichrist, Satan doesn't even have supernatural powers because he can't upset uh, the, the natural order of things. Oh, he can pervert things, he can twist things, and he does a pretty good job of that, but he cannot, you know, he doesn't have any supernatural powers. Gotcha. So in this case, I mean, Revelation 13 says that this beast or the anti, what's often referred to as the Antichrist, is going to rule for the three and a half years. So in, in this interpretation, I'm assuming what you were saying earlier, that part of what we're seeing in Revelation 13 has taken place in the past. Is that a correct understanding? Yes. Um, okay. The beast rose up out of the earth. I, held an, I beheld another beast right, coming up out of the earth. That's Revelation 13, 11. And that is, uh, I believe that's the creation of the American uh, nation that we know now about the same time that uh, the, the Holy Roman Empire received its deadly head wound and the, the, the Antichrist lost his temporal power is about the same time that uh, this beast rose up out of the earth. So that's something that happens. And it says he exercises all the power of the per first beast before him, which America has done uh, since World War II. America has become the police power of the world, which Rome was the police power of the world at one time. Um, let's see. And he causes all. So that's where we're at right now. America has that place that it still is now, even now, uh, the police power of the world. Wow. OK. Yeah. So as you said, there, there's a lot and you've given a lot of people uh, some resources they can go to to, to unpack it. Um, there's only so much that we can unpack in, in one interview. Um, but I, I think you've given us an idea of, of, of what, what this view is and, and really um, some similarities as far as, you know, in, in some sense of the historian, uh, the historic view is, you know, partial predators and their, their future. So they're kind of, you know, because you're still looking at some prophecy to be filled in the future and then, you know, some prophecy that's been filled in the past. So it's sort of right there in the, in the middle for those that would embrace uh, either one of those to the extreme you know, this, this is, is saying, you know, yes, some of this has been fulfilled and, and yes, some of this is yet to be fulfilled as opposed to saying it's all been fulfilled or it's all yet to be fulfilled. So, right. Um, it is in the, it is prophecy is in the progress of being fulfilled has yeah. been uh, since the prophecy was giving uh, because John, you know, John wrote the things which must shortly come to pass and they began as to their fulfillment to shortly come to pass in the second century AD and have been moving forward and being fulfilled ever since then and will be 
obviously until Christ returns. And then we have the millennium and that which, and the eternal state, which comes after that, which still has to be fulfilled. Cool. Well, um, let me ask you, uh, go ahead and plug your website, tell people, you know, where they can get your books and the, you know, the free eBooks that you're referring to and we'll wrap up. Okay, my website is crosstheborder.org, that's C-R-O-S-S, and as in cross, like the cross of Christ, cross the border, and I always say cross the border into the kingdom of God, nothing is more important, because that's the only way you can uh, accept eternal life, and the, and the border to the kingdom is repentance, we go back to the gospel, so crossthebborder.org, or nicholasarthur.wordpress.com. Either way, I'll get you there. Uh, make sure you subscribe to my blog. I do a weekly uh, video blog every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. So you might want to join me there. Uh, I would like to see people live there. So come on over but, and subscribe to my blog. Then go to the free ebook tab and you can get uh, pretty much all of my books that I'm offering there. I'm, I should put a list of the books I'm offering there. But you could get this one, History of Apocalyptic Interpretation. You could get uh, um, this other one is called uh, When the Third Temple is Built, uh, When the, the Rapture Will Be Canceled, several books that I'm offering there. Uh, and I'll send you a copy absolutely free if you subscribe to my blog and share any of my articles or, or posts with anyone. And just put a comment there saying, yep, I've shared, I've done it, please send me whatever book it is you're uh, requiring. And also you can purchase the books there and get the book page. Uh, all my books are available for purchase for those who want copies of them. Also take advantage of jorgeapocalyptica.wordpress.com and you can read the entire uh, volume of the Jorge Apocalyptica there for free uh, with exhibits. Um, it's a very easy to read thing there. And I believe you could even read that on your your iPhone product or your, uh, your, you know, phone, <laughs> smartphone, I should say. All right. If you close out in prayer. Well, thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, this time to share your word, to share your prophecy, and to share the gospel with others. Open the hearts and minds to everyone as to what you have to say for them, that they may be born again that they may join us in the resurrection and live and receive all the promises that you have for us. And I thank you for this and give you praise for it in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to share this with somebody you know. Like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a rating and review. You can email me at the Podcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.